Trev, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. By Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here on a Sunday morning, my favorite time to record a podcast. You get some coffee, you get some energy flowing. We don't have the late night groggy voices from Dan and I. So super excited about this episode today. We have Joey Hanley, who's the co-founder and performance coach at Fearless Sports Performance. Fearless Sports Performance is a baseball performance training center in Thousand Oaks, California. They also offer remote training, um, and he is also a high school pitching coach at this time. So, Joey, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Of course, of course. So the first question I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know as well, is, you know, what's the background on how you got um, in business with Fearless Sports Performance and, and kind of also your baseball background from that standpoint? Sure. I'll, I'll start with uh, the baseball background because that'll kind of lead um, into how uh, FSP came in to start. So um, played obviously like, you know, middle school, high school, all the way through and then went to college. Um, but that was never kind of an easy journey for me. So like I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was uh, 15. Um, and I had a lot of big schools looking at me and growing up in uh, Chicago, Illinois, you know, there, there's actually a fair amount of really good schools up there. Um, so I had a lot of really good exposure and my coaches were fantastic, but there was this one summer where, uh, I was thrown in like the high eighties, uh, as a, like as an incoming junior, um, or I'm sorry, an incoming senior. And I got really sick that year and I had, uh, 11 confirmed seizures, which means like somebody else was there to see it. Um, and then I think I had a few more where I was on my own and I dropped from 180, 85 pounds all the way down to 130 some pounds. So my velocity just like dipped to like, I don't know, like 75 miles an hour and scouts were coming out to see me under the impression that I was going to be throwing, um, in the high eights and they all pretty much were just kind of like, you know, no pass, not going to work at our level. Um, so I ended up going the D three route, which was actually really fun. Totally fine. Um, I went to North central college for one year, 
went to the uh, World Series that year, which was a really cool experience. Um, but Illinois just wasn't a good fit. I wasn't really in love with the school. I wasn't super in love with the program. I mean, we had good coaches. Um, there was just a lot of stuff that didn't really work that well for me. So I went to a junior college. I, I came out here to California. My parents had moved out here a year prior. Uh, and, I, you know, they kept saying, you know, like, if you want to leave, California is a great place to play baseball. Because, um, I mean, this is like a baseball mecca. I think it's like the number one state. So I came out here. Um, and I kind of stayed in that like D three mindset. Not that that's good nor bad. I, I, I probably could have gone further, but I'm uh, to, to an extent, I'm glad I didn't because I'm glad where I got my education, um, and the playing background that I have. So by the time I was a junior at the JUCO, I kind of figured like, all right, I'm five foot nine. I had gotten my velo back up. I was like, I'm touching 89. I'm probably not going to the MLB. I just want to go somewhere that I'll play, you know. Um, so I went to Whittier College uh, for two years, finished my junior, senior year, but we got cut home early because of COVID my senior year. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much my playing background. Uh, high school, I was a starter, and then in college, I almost immediately became a closer. Um and yeah, so like my job was pretty much to just come out for one inning, just balls to the wall, throw it as hard as you possibly can, um, and then just shut the door, which I liked. And that was actually a much better mindset and sort of mentality for me personally, because um, I'm a little bit more of like an intense guy, uh, especially when I was playing, like my competitive edge was a little more angry. So kind of holding that back as a starter sucked because you're 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 holding a lot of energy back so you don't get tired. But I like just like running out to heavy metal blasting and then just like one inning I get to be just like shoving it down dudes' throats. So you know that that aspect was a lot of fun. And during that transition period from uh, Illinois to uh, California. I went down to a training facility in Florida where I met uh, the co-founder of this who did this with me. Um, he went to uh, Loyola in Nor uh, New Orleans. They're, they're an NAIA school. Um, and we linked up there and we we stayed in contact because he and I <clears throat> had kind of a, like a similar build, shorter, um, sort of the underdog. Um, you know, his, his story's a little bit more on his, like, I don't think he really began to tap into his full potential until like the very end of his career. Um, but he was nasty. Um, and he and I clicked super well and hung out all the time when we were there. And then when I got sent home from COVID, you know, like I, I, I stayed in contact with him and I was like, Hey, mm -hmm. start my own business. I, I want to, you know, work with baseball players. And he was like, Oh, same. And we were like, He's like, by the way, I got accepted to USC for uh, PT school. He's like, so I'll be out in California. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this together. It's a lot harder to do alone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so his, um, his undergrad was in business analytics. So I've had to catch up on the business side of things um, as where he kind of went into PT school um, a little more blind than his other classmates, but I mean, he's, he's crushing it. Um, and he's a huge asset for 
you know, a lot of athletes because he's been able to come out. Obviously, he's got a busy schedule as a student PT, but he's been huge for when I have a guy who, you know, because like regardless, dude, you could have like the best technique. You could play it as safe as possible. You're going to get hurt at some point. Like that's just sports that like you're going to get hurt. Um, and I've had guys, like plenty of guys who get hurt, tweak, whatever. He's come out and made my job so much easier and made their life easier by saving money on going to a physical therapist. Um, so, you know, he's helped me a lot in that realm and sort of like running other basic, uh, things that I learned in undergrad. Cause my degree is in kinesiology and nutrition science with an emphasis on strength and conditioning. Um, most of my classes revolved around biomechanics and exercise physiology. So I was also that classic overthinker, uh, when it came to baseball, cause I was always analyzing my mechanics, like fucking way too much. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, and he, he was very similar. So we have, we have a similar mindset, but ways where it's not like, Oh, we agree with each other on everything. There's a really good balance of like, Oh, I see this, you see that. Let's find a way where maybe we can like make sense of that and explain it to each And obviously, you know, there's times as a business part where it's you feel like you're the right one, he's the wrong one, or, or vice versa. But we've done a good job playing off of each other because he's also like I said, he's got more of that calmer mindset and I'm a little more inflammatory. So like I'm not afraid to like toss a tweet out there or something that's just like blowing up a certain, like, I'm not going to go after someone personally unless they've, they start like a little, you know, mini like cyber war with me. Um, but I'll just be like coaches who do this X, Y, Z. And he's kind of more on the side of just like not being so inflammatory. <laughs> um, but yeah, cause like, I don't know, I guess I just go on like those little rants sometimes when I see, uh, like, I guess misinformation or stuff that I think maybe isn't like, it's just kind of eyewash and people are doing it for clout. So, but we play off each other really well. We've been doing this since 2020. Um, so as soon as I graduated, we hopped right into this. He, he took his COVID redshirt year. So he helped do a lot of this stuff while he was still playing. Um, and he's still doing a lot as a, as an SPT. So, you know, he's a, he's a rock star in that aspect of just like doing a lot of stuff at one time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that aspect's been great. So my playing career, you know, of like struggling a lot helped me, you know, meet another guy who was struggling in their career. And then we just eventually, we stayed in touch and eventually linked up and we're like, let's do this thing. So that's been great. That's a, I mean, your story is, is awesome. I mean, I can't imagine just like the, you know, the thought of being at the top of, of, your game when you're in high school and then getting hit with something that's completely out of your control. Right. And it's not even a baseball related injury, right. That's an illness that you, you have to then battle. So I, you know, just listening to kind of that story there, do you think that what you had to go through to even get through your playing career and, and you're moving from Chicago and you're training in Florida and then you're heading out to California, there's so much unknown and you're battling and you're, and you're trying to get back to a certain point. Then you get in, you know, and, and the business you're in now, like that, that's a competitive, the private sector right now in baseball training is crazy competitive. Especially. Um, do you, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so I just, do you, did, 
with some of that mindset of, of going through the things you went through as a player, has that helped you kind of like break down the door in that competitive, that competitive specter that you're in now? Yeah, definitely. Because there's an aspect of like toughen the fuck up, dude. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, there's a lot of times that you can just like quit and throw in the towel and just be like, Oh, poor me. I'm a victim of this illness. It's like, no, you're not. Plenty of people have this illness and they do much better than you. So stop your whining and do what you're supposed to do and be a productive and impactful human being. So, um, I think that that definitely does help to that aspect where people talk about like, Oh, it was a blessing and a curse. Like, is it a blessing? No, it hurts. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, but like, am I plagued? No, I think it's something that has helped me with a lot of aspects of life, uh, outside of baseball and business. Um, but it definitely gave me a pathway to basically say like, okay, like you're struggling. Let's say like playing career wise, you're struggling. Well, like there's a lot worse you've been through. So this is a game, you know? Um, and then business wise, it's just like, obviously there's going to be ups and downs to that, especially, I mean, especially when you're just starting, I mean, starting in 2020, I mean, you've got nothing. I mean, it's 2020 to 2023, that three year period, it's really like one year. Um, right. because you're spending one and a half to two years trying to just like get one person to work with you. Like, just like you're like waiting for one guy to take that chance. Um, and then once you do more people kind of start to come in and, but yeah, I mean, I would say that it has helped me more than it has hindered me aside from just like times that it's actually, you know, a hundred percent held me back because I'm very sick. But yeah, I try, I try not to look at it too much. It's like, cause it's, it's just something It's just there. Everyone has something and you can either play that victim card or you can use it to your advantage to help other people, help yourself, help your family, whatever it might be. So it definitely helped me with being like toughen up and do the work that you're supposed to do. Um, Cause I think if I didn't, if, if there was no adversity, then, you know, kind of what's the point because you're, you're just on cruise control and you don't know what it's like to, to have moments in life that suck. Um, and when you know what it's like to, to suck and suffer, um, it makes times that are like rough, like, Oh, like I'm, I'm kind of lacking on people who want to work with me. Like, no, it's like, that's not that bad. So it keeps my mindset a little bit more positive, um, kind of keeps me going and it allows me to have reminders of when you do lift your head up, like, okay, no, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm on track. Yeah. I mean, mean, for me too, like when you get into the space that you're in and even when I was, you know, a a pitching coach at the college level, like you're, when you start working with guys, like their career is essentially like you are there to aid their career. And that's a big, I mean, people are trusting you, as you said, like you were looking for one guy to trust you to come in and say, okay, I'm putting my faith in you to make me better. And when you, when you get guys to commit to your school, that's basically what they're saying. And when, you know, when you're in it, you know, the day to day, that's not anywhere where your mind is or or should be. But when you take a step back, it's like, Oh man, like this guy's career is kind of in my hands, his, his playing Mm -hmm. career, what I'm doing right now, like this, I have to help him any way I can. And we have to work together was the hardest part of getting into it, just getting those people to buy into what you're selling? Yeah. 
the hard, the hardest part is that aspect, and especially because there's a lot of good players here in California. Not, I mean, not to mention just how many players there are. But um, the first guy who ever took a chance on me, he's still with me. He's a remote guy. Um, met him, you know, back when I had just started, and I was I was working for another guy at his facility, um, who I had previously trained under for a little. Uh, bit of time, I think like a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and then the next guy who came my way was, was a guy who, who played at Harvard. He was up to 95. He had a partial tear in his pec minor, um, which was also affecting his, uh, subclav and his rotator cuff. So helped him kind of get back up to like that 91, 94 range. Um, but there was a lot of other like mental aspects that went into that, that, um, you know, he ended up more happy not playing and I supported that decision, but his, his brother was like, Oh, like I want to train and he's a position player. So this is the first time I've got a non pitcher working with me commits to Berkeley while he's under me as a 15 year old, um, gets hurt at school. So now basically what's basically my first project. Well, my first, his brother was a rehab project. Now my second project is another full rehab. <laughs> and I've got a kid who's a middle infield, third base, can play a little bit of outfield, D1 commit. Like, don't screw this up, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And w- once I was able to help him get stronger and, you know, he was seeing his PT, I started, you know, getting referrals from him, which nice. included um, – a lot of pitchers, but it also included some position players who that was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy working with both. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely getting people to, to trust you in the beginning is difficult because it's like, what, well, what's your credibility? You could have all the certifications in the right. world could have played at this level, but it's like, do you know how to coach somebody? Do you know how to coach multiple people? Are you cookie cutter? Do you know how to assess multiple people at one time? Um, you know, cause there's all these different aspects. And I think what was able to help me, uh, scale was just having programs that were basically over, what would you say? Like, like over committing to the, to the athlete slash slash client. Like you're, you're trying to overproduce a result for them. That's better than what they're paying for. Um, and in the beginning, right, like you're, you're not really getting paid much at all, right. which is fine. I mean, like obviously money is, is something you need to survive. Um, but the impact is, is what matters the most. Um, so, I mean, that, that's definitely the toughest part is like, oh, I could go to you, but there's also this dude who's been running this place for 20 years, who's produced these guys or these guys go to him. Um, so I've been lucky to have that guy, uh, with me, I, I won't name drop, um, just cause I'm not sure if he'd, he'd be comfortable with it or not. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he brought me a lot of people and, and was able, you know, and his, his mom was super supportive of it too. Um, and he, you know, he's still with me, uh, which sucks cause you know, he's, he's a senior now, so he's about to yeah. leave. And a lot of my athletes are seniors. Um, so I've been trusted with a lot of dudes who either developed really well under me and now they're, you know, either committed or like a lot of 
big schools are looking at them or guys who are, were already committed. I have, I have a kid who's committed to Arkansas as a catcher, utility switch hitter. He committed when he was like 14 years old. Um, you know, when he, when he came AY, I was like, don't screw this one up either. <laughs> um, I was like, the last thing I want to do is like hurt this kid or, or, or do something that's going to affect his swing or his running patterns. Uh, so, you know, his gait. So yeah, the, I mean, like I, that there's like a lot of pressure that goes along with that, but, um, I've been very blessed to have a lot of these parents, um, you know, give me their trust and respect and, you know, leave me with their, their son's career essentially in my hands. Um, which is a big responsibility, especially when you, you know, you kind of reflect on that, like day to day, it's like, all right, come in and get your work in. Right. But there's times I reflect on that and I'm like, this person's trusting me with their entire baseball career. Um, so there's that factor of just like over deliver as much as you possibly can for these guys. Um, cause it's not about me. It's about them. Right. This is at the high school level. I'm, they're not there for me. <laughs> like, right. Like, Place me, and it's fine because they're still on the team. I'm there for them, um, so it's a people business, you know. And it involves more than just the athlete. It involves the parents. It involves their team coaches. It it involves everybody who is still in their development career. And my job is to basically help them be as noticeable as possible. Yeah, and and. and- to me, that's what the part that like is always such a wow moment when you when you kind of step back when you're in that coaching role or you know in, in the role you're in, and it's like to people who don't understand and who don't haven't had an athletic career, or don't have a kid in an athletic like that means a lot. Whether no matter how far you get or how long you play, because everyone at some point is going to be like your career's done. Like yeah. that happens whether you're it's at high school, whether it's at the college level, whether it's your 15 year big leaguer. At some point, you're going to get told it's done. It's like that your identity for a lot of people who are in baseball growing up, right? Like your identity is I'm a baseball player. And mm-hmm. so to then be trusted with that right there, you know, something that means so much to someone is, is a lot. And, um, you know, for me, that's always what was, you know, kind of the, a big thing to wrap my mind around and why you, you, like you said, you're there for them. It's not about you. It's like, it's, you know, it's a, you're in the service industry is what I always say to people, right? Like you yeah. are in the service industry. It's not as, as cheap of a, a relationship as being someone's waiter at a west, restaurant, but essentially you're a wait, you're that kid's waiter, right? Yeah. Like you're there for them and whatever their career can do. And that, that's um, fantastic. So I want to kind of just a little bit of nitty gritty here, get into it. Cause you know, in my experience working with guys who are coming back from an injury, you could have two players that both had Tommy John surgery, let's say both of them need different things and react differently to their training. And I used to hate when my players would come in with a stinking piece of paper from a surgeon that says make 45 throws at 60 feet for 40% because to each guy that's different and you don't know. So what was it like, especially as your first couple of clients, what is your kind of, you know, mentality and mindset when you go into a rehab, you know, guys that come in that are rehabbing from something and you got to get them back. Is there like a, how do you go after it? I guess. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you have to do is, like, assess their strengths and weaknesses. So this kid had a weak lower back, weak hamstrings, weak adductor. Now he's he's injured the hamstring before, um, and, you know, that was a big problem, and I had to – so I, I actually broke my back when I was in, when I was in high school. Um, and one of my athletes now has the exact same history. I have dealt with one arm injury. My All my other injuries have been either – the hips or the lower back. 
Um, I have, I have, you know, knock on wood, have dealt with only one armor injury, and it was my little brother. He grew rapidly. Like I'm five nine, he's almost six three. Um, so his growth plate broke uh, just one summer, and you know, it's not like he was throwing, you know, fuego for. I mean, like he threw, you know, pretty hard for like like a twelve, thirteen year old. I mean, he was in like the mid high seventies, which is fairly harder than the average like twelve, thirteen year old. Um, so that was a project where I actually just was like, go to PT. I was like, because I don't know exactly how to like rehab this because I've never seen this before. Seen plenty. Obviously, had my own back injury seen plenty of lower body injuries where I know how to handle that. And I actually think that those injuries are easier to deal with than arm injuries because there's more things that go into the arm injury. It's like, okay, let's just take the growth plate factor out of it because we can already determine a growth plate is going to be based on right your biological age. It's not always going to be your chronological age, you know, you know, also like your chronological age is how old you actually are. Biological is like how mature you are, you know, you know, physically, mentally, all that stuff. So when you go like by biological age, you're going to know like growth plate. Okay. This kid is not done growing and he's still, he throws really hard. Like I've got a catcher right now who he just turned 15. He, he's got like a one eight pop time, um, throws super hard, came close to a growth plate injury and we kind of caught it really early. Um, but that's obviously a known thing. Like, Oh, there's nothing wrong here. Well, let's say I have a guy who, who blows out his, uh, his UCL. There might have been more than just issues in his mechanics or a lot of shear on the elbow where it's like that area could be compensating for something else like a weak bicep, a weak tricep, weak pronators, extensors, flexors, uh, even your shoulder complex plays a role. So you have to, you have to like really dig deep into that because – there's also aspects of guys who have like bicep tendonitis, right? So your bicep goes all the way up to your shoulder. So you think, oh, shoulder pain, they must have something in the shoulder. It's like, no, their bicep sucks. So the origin is going to be taking the brute because you've got your insertion and origin up here. So there's a lot of factors that go into those injuries that take time for you to sit down and basically just ask these qu- these questions to athletes. And you can't butt in. You can't say like, do you feel tingling? Do you feel hot? Like you have to get their words because they're going to start going based off of what you're saying. So you have to sit down and write down everything they're saying as to how they feel. Um, so, you know, injuries are tough. I, I've had to learn a lot along the way. Talk to a fair amount of PTs. Obviously my business partner being an SPT has really helped me with that part. Cause I've got, you know, I can get in his ear more often. I can just text him and he'll get back to me at some point. Um, but yeah, like the, the injury stuff is, is tough. It's, it's a lot more tough than like, Oh, a guy needs to ramp up. He needs to gain more velo. He needs his command back. He needs better off speed because the, the injury stuff that, that can go downhill real fast. If you get a guy up too quickly or if you baby their, their process too much. I mean, I had a, a guy come to me in his first two months his his glove side wrist was broken. Um, so like we were doing so much stuff once that thing came off of just like I'd make him hold a barbell in one hand until almost it felt like his hand was going to like fall off. Um, and I just told him, I was like, dude, we need to strain this thing 
as much as we possibly can um, in order for it to improve. And it, it's so weird how you'd think like, oh, well, it's his glove side. It can't be that big of a deal. It's like, no, it's a big deal because your glove side plays a huge role in internally rotating and then corkscrewing you back down because once that thing, like if you can't move your wrist efficiently, once you put the glove on, which is somewhat heavy, like, and that's weak, it's just going to go and pull off. So, you know, explaining that rehab process to him and the family was, um, I think overwhelming for them at first, but that kid's a workhorse. He just came in every day and did his thing. I mean, when I say every day, I mean like when I went to his signing, you know, he just was like, I went up there, took a picture with him and he's like, I see you in 30 minutes. Came to his lift, came after his games, all like came after practice every day. Constantly asked me, Hey, can I come in at 5 a.m.? Like, I was like, Oh, God, all right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, he, you know, he worked really hard. And I think I've had more injuries than I actually like can think of. Um, I think if you ran through like a list of all my athletes, I could probably name you the ones who haven't had an injury on or off the field. Um, which they usually occur on the field because, you know, like we were talking about prior to uh, when we started, when you play sports at some point in your life, you're getting hurt. It's just you, you can't avoid mm-hmm. it. Wrist broke, sliding in inner squad. You know, um, the the guy who broke his back, that was before he was with me. I'm not really sure what happened there. You know, the the kid with the hamstring, the coach was over-conditioning him. Um and that's how it blew up. So, you know, you've got various things like that where it's like they come in one day and they're like, Oh, I'm hurt or they don't know they're hurt. They get into their stuff and they get hurt with you. And you're like, what did I do? And then it's like, Oh my, I didn't communicate. I didn't say, Hey, how are you feeling today? What'd you do at practice? All this stuff. Cause if you get the answer of like, Oh, well I was running and my hamstring feel like it tweaked, but I'm still going to do RDLs. It's like, no, <laughs> it's like, we're going to, we're going to test your hamstring strength real quick. And th- there's, there's that aspect where I just tell guys, I'm like, you got to communicate, communicate, over communicate with me. I'd rather receive texts all day, every hour from a kid saying my arm feels great. My arm feels great. Then they come in one day and they're like, ah, no, nah, I, I don't feel good. And they're actually hurt um, because they get even more hurt under your watch. Um, so my job is teach them to communicate even more than I'm already them. Cause the guy that I just had an elbow injury with, um, I text him like every five seconds. How's it feel? How's it feel? <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, get that out. But yeah, I would say communication is probably the highest aspect of, of a rehab project, um, or someone who's plateauing. I just think communication is key for almost everything. Yeah. I was going to say you, you unpacked so much on the injury front that, piqued my interest and then you get into a leadership and aspect of it of communication and, and keeping that open line of communication and over communicating. And then I'm now I'm, my brain's going to like, wow, that's awesome stuff for somebody who is, you know, humble enough to not sit there. And like you said, you start cutting people off. My, my fiance is in medical school. If I'm not feeling well, I start saying, Hey, I'm a little stuffy. And the next question is, well, are you this, are you this? And then when it becomes yes, no, you start to go, yes, I feel that way. And you don't really know, like listening and just writing down everything that they say yeah. is 
pivotal because that's when you're going to get the real information, right? It's where you're going to get the actual stuff that you need, evidence that you need to make progress. And going back to to when you were talking about the injury, and I kind of want to take it a step further to like the next step, right? What impresses me about the demographic that you work with is obviously I was at the college game. Dan was at the college game. One of our good friends uh, who is also a co-host on this podcast is in the professional ranks. When you work with older populations, when they're usually done growing, the way they move more times than not is the way they're going to move. What interests me so much is when you're dealing with guys that are still in that growing phase is understanding that a lower back injury, a hamstring injury could change how their body moves forever, right? Like when your brother sprouts up, well, he could have been a loose mover at 5'9", and he's a tight mover at 6'3", right? So kind of go into that aspect of like an injury, especially for lower back and hamstring, where guys just completely change their anatomy and how you test, retest, and adjust workout plans, adjust movement patterns, and adjust all those things that are just vital components to success. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll go off someone who's in the midst of growing. I'm not going to axial load them being your axial skeleton is your skull through your, your spine. Um, cause you, you don't really know how much that's still growing, uh, with a kid. One of the biggest indicators is obviously, are you shaving yet? <laughs> if they're not, it's like, no, you're probably still growing. I've got a kid who's a senior. He's a lefty sidearm kid. He's like 86, 89. He'll, I think he could definitely be throwing harder, uh, but I think he's still growing. He's 6'1", 6'2". Shaves maybe like once a year. (laughs) Um, So when you get a person who's maybe like more undeveloped, like I'm not going to put a bar on their back, um, you know, when we do our training. But the other thing you have to understand is usually like, and by you, I guess I'm talking about just like any coach and especially a parent, um, might get a little, um, impatient with progress because they think like they see, you know, other kids who are actually fully developed already, like, Oh, they're doing this strength. Why can't my son do that? It's like, cause they're still growing. Like, um, if I axial load a kid who is still growing more than likely I'm going to get some lower back issues. I'm going to get hip. I'm definitely going to probably get some knee issues. Um, and then like myself, so I'm, I just turned 25, uh, in November and broke my back when I was 15. So, so 10 years or maybe when I was four, I I don't know. I I guess I feel old now. (laughs) Um, but I tend to get, um, a lot of extension lumbar, and what happens is when you break a, a structure that's supposed to be a mover, right? So like all your components are made of stable, mobile, stable, mobile, right? That, so my finger, this part, stable, joints, mobile, stable, mobile, stable, mobile. When you break that stable part, that mobile part becomes stable because it's trying to protect everything around it. So like I had issues with my thoracic spine all the time because everything wanted to come from the lower back. Guys who injure the shoulder, it's going to be the same thing, right? Like injuring that mobile structure is always a harder injury than that um, than that solid structure. So there's there's that aspect of where you have to be super patient 
and constantly assessing and your assessments don't have to be like, okay, lay on the table. I'm going to test this. It's like, sometimes you just have to observe a kid working out, you know, uh, if you notice that like they're moving in a certain way you've never seen before, I'll pull them aside after the workout and be like, Hey, you notice anything different or I'll know like, Oh, they're getting, a, you know, they're growing a little bit again and you got to shift things a little bit. So, um, a lot of the stuff that I, that I have to take into consideration, especially at the high school level, because in college you're, you're probably 99% of those kids are developed already, at least by the time that they're a junior, mm -hmm. um, in high school, they're, they're still sprouting out. Like, so you have to be very, um, aware of those things. And when I first sit down with an athlete, like the, a lot of the questions I'm asking them is like, what's your training history? What's your injury history? Um, you know, tell me the last time you felt like growing pain. Um, you know, I try to find out as many details as I possibly can. Um, and you can pinpoint some stuff with kids who either baby their body or they're overstressing it when they, they are, they don't need to, right? Like you can get the same physical adaptations of, let's just say like a basic squat from a belt squat where you're not axial loaded. It's coming straight from the mm -hmm. belt versus if you're having a safety bar or barbell squat up top where you're fully loaded. Um, so, you know, you, you, as long as you understand your physiology, anatomy, biomechanics, all that stuff, um, I don't think it's uh, anything that's like rocket science. Mm -hmm. um, it's more just common sense. If I've got a guy who has knee pain, I'm not going to make them do a bunch of stuff that involves flexion and extension yeah. or, or a bunch of jumping. Um, as much as they may benefit from it, eventually that knee pain is going to grow go away because they're growing. Um, but you can really mess them up for life and make them crappy movers. Um, cause I think movement should be very fluid. It should flow. And, um, if you're tight and, you know, janky all the time, that's, that's tough, man. That's a really tough way to go about being an athlete. Um, cause when you hear the word athlete, you think of somebody who's moving around quickly, mm -hmm. cutting, jumping. Um, you don't think of somebody who's walking like this, yeah. uh, you see, you, you think you would. So, um, yeah, there, it, it affects the way you move. And now, um, like with, like with my back alone, like I'm more prone to slipping discs. Uh, the doctors told me I already have like, uh, some arthritis in there and I'm like, I'm 25. Like what the yeah. hell? Mm -hmm. uh, and they told me that last year when I was 24. So, um, yeah, I mean, you just have to be careful because I mean, as long, I don't think twice about it usually cause I, I understand the, the way that they move. So, um, but you're right. I mean, I've worked with older populations, just general pop. Um, especially when I was working at, um, cause I worked at some gyms, uh, just for extra income to pay for like more equipment and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can see it all the time. You, oh, you know, I played sports in high school. I had this injury. I ignored it. And it's like, no shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can see that in the way you move. Um, so yeah, I mean, you do have to be careful because they're going to be former players far longer than they're going to be current players, regardless of how far you go. Right. Like Verlander is going to be a former player longer than he yeah. is a current player. The same way that a kid who gets cut from JV is it, it yep. that 
life. You can't play when you're you know, 70, 80 years old. It's just not going to Yeah, and one of the most impressive things as you talk there is how you mentioned patients back. And, you know, I kind of want to tie this into the demographic that you're working with, but is the the ability to view it as exactly as you just said, like, hey, I'm trying to help you for life. So tell me what it's like to in a in a microwave society that we live in where parents want their 12 year olds to throw 85 and be committed to USC, UCLA by the time they're 14, 15 and be on the draft boards. We had Carlos Colazzo, who's the top draft analyst for Baseball America on um, this past week. And he had talked about how injuries of pitchers and all the things like that are because I mean, he mentioned that he was talking to a coach that said like some parent of like a 12 year old was like sending their, you know, percentile information to a coach of like he's in like the 90th percentile of velocity for 12 year olds. And the coach was like, I don't give a crap. Like yeah. that's, he's going to, the odds of him blowing out are much higher now because you're doing that. So kind of talk about what that conversation's like with parents who obviously want their kids to A, hit 400 in college or in high school that year. They want to, pitch to a, you know, sub two ERA in high school that year, but they also want to be recruited to play college. They know what it takes to be recruited on college, but you're over there pushing patience, patience, patience in that holistic long-term development, even if it's outside of the baseball field, but you have people that are paying, ultimately you're in the service industry for that instantaneous success, that instantaneous growth. What's the balance or are you just telling people who want that instantaneous microwave stuff to just be like, get lost, you're not going to work with me? So I am slightly picky about who works with me because I don't, I don't want to expose my current guys to someone who's going to be you know, an absolute cancer around them and, and sort of spread you know, just a very negative energy. Um, you know, when, when there's a developed guy, I can understand when there's a rush sometimes, you know, you get some seniors who bloom really late, um, and they want to commit somewhere fast. So you've got that. But then when you've got the young kid and, and you get a parent or even themselves really trying to push that, like, Oh, I need to throw this. I need to throw that. It's like, yeah, but like, to what extent, like when's the last time a get rich quick scheme worked? Right. Like if like I could market myself and be like, oh, guaranteed five miles an hour. If you work, it's like run for the hills. If you hear that. Right. Like take take off, dude, Um, because like success isn't linear. If you look at like a velo chart for a young kid, it's going to be like like that. Right. And especially just start training because now a new stimulus hits and they're like, oh, wow. I'm get so like you know your first stimulus when you're a kid is going to be a neural adaptation, um, whether that's you know your body learning more you know better motor skills, um, or just getting stronger in general, um, they're going to have those neural adaptations that allow them to throw a little harder. So you're going to see this massive spike. And I always tell everybody who I work with, regardless of the age, I'm like, look, more than likely you're going to see this, you see this. And then you're probably going to see that and then it's going to spike back up because your body's going to adapt, resist, and then readapt again as long as you don't overtrain them. Um, but if, you know, if a, I've not, I haven't had too many young, young kids, you know, like 12, 13, 14, you know, I've had some like 15 year old, 16 year old kids who are like, oh, I got to throw this hard. I got to throw that hard. My, my advice to them always like, 
obsess over the little things, obsess over your recovery, your nutrition, you know, your arm care, your strength, that other stuff will come. If all we do is just try and like focus on velo, 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 it's like, yeah, you want velo and so does everybody else and their grandma. (laughs) Like, it's like, what are we doing if, if that, if we chase that versus if we chase health, mobility, your recovery, all this other stuff, building enough volume where your arm can sustain a lot of throws and a lot of innings. It's like the chances of your velo going up are so much higher than if it's like, oh, let's do pull downs every day, throw a bunch of underweight balls, which again, either of those two things are not bad. They're good training modalities and tools. Um, and I could probably get a kid who throws 84 to 88 by just doing a bunch of that stuff, but it's not going to be sustainable. Right. right. Like they're glad you're, you're making their glass ceiling lower. And then if I did have a kid who was, you know, cause you do see some of those kids on like perfect game who are ranked top in the country and they're like 12 years old throwing 90 miles an hour. And you're like, well, okay, but they're not done growing. And you see almost all of them get hurt. Um, and it sucks getting hurt at a very young age. It's it's one thing when you're late in high school that's still young, but you're, the chances of you coming back stronger are much higher. When you're really little, that's tough because um, you're kind of just uh, – your, your body's still figuring out how to do things, which is why I always encourage kids to play multiple sports, especially soccer. Soccer is a really great sport to learn because you're learning a lot of agility, hand-eye coordination, um, and it's just a lot of running around, pivoting, athletic, you know, fine and gross motor skills. Rock climbing would be another one, um, you know, obviously for a kid, just like those little indoor places because right. you're you know, do all those things. Eventually, when I have a kid, I'm just going to be like, go find as many things to pick up and put down as you possibly yeah. can. Um and I think uh, Eric Cressy had a really good quote on that. And I can't directly quote it, but it was basically like the average 10 to like 14-year-old really only needs a wheelbarrow and manual labor, which is true. Like if, if I'm just like, oh, let me take a 14-year-old, put a bar on their back, slap bands on it and chains, and I'll post it on Instagram because it's going to look so cool. It's like, yeah, that kid's not going to be on your Instagram that much longer. Right. Like I'd rather post the guy who has an amazing success story slowly versus like, Oh, look at this cool stuff that I do. And they're hurt. Like, so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of a tangent right there, (laughs) but, um, that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way I'd go about it. Just have to explain things in a careful way. And you have to also understand where the parents coming from is, Sometimes you get that supportive parent who goes a little over the top. And then sometimes you get that parent who's just kind of rushing things to rush things for like no good rhyme or reason. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the way you just got to go about it is, is take it case to case, find out what the attentions are behind it. Cause sometimes it could just be like, Oh, Johnny's playing a bunch of kids who are better than them. It's like, yeah, well, Johnny's 12. Right. <laughs> Well, that's an unbelievable. It was a good tangent. It was. It was. I mean, I think you hit it spot on, and and you referenced uh, a 
Cressy quote, which is great, but I want to go to something that you said. It's your pinned tweet on Twitter, which for those who, who don't follow Joey on Twitter at Joey Hanley FSP, but you're from August four, uh, 14th of 2020, you said expecting games to produce better life skill development is like expecting uh, to perfect a test you've hardly studied for. And me and Trevor have talked about this with multiple people. Our culture is so game reliant. Right. Yeah. Like our culture is like, let's play as many games as we can. Let's get on a, a, a travel ball team at 10, 11 years old and go play five times a weekend. Yeah. And um, you look at, especially in baseball, uh, some of the other countries that are, you know, you're watching the World Baseball Classic now. You watch the Dominican and Venezuela and Puerto Rico, all these countries that have just unbelievable baseball players. And yeah. a lot of those Latin countries, they practice a lot more than they play. Yeah. And um, to me, it seems like, you know, the, the training environment. How did you kind of create that training environment and, and your thought process behind that before rushing these guys into games? Let's get the training down. Let's get the practice down. Let's get development down. Where you kind of uh, where did you kind of start to get on that path? As a player, um, that's something you figure out quick is like if my slider sucks, I'm not going to learn it in a game. I need to practice that thing before I start throwing it against hitters. Um, I remember putting that tweet out and I knew once you said my, my pin tweet, I knew exactly what that, that tweet was. Cause I think it's probably one of the most valuable things I've ever put out there to be honest. Um, but you know, it is like, I mean, you guys, I'm sure have taken a test you didn't study for, right? Yep. You walk into a lot. that, like, oh, you know, I'll probably do fine. You look at the paper and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's, not prepared the field the weight room the the at the pt whatever that might be that is your homework and you got to do a lot of homework to be really good at the test um and take i mean like this is an extreme example take out the abuse of the athletes and the steroids the Soviets didn't even let their athletes play till they were like 18 i don't even know something crazy like that like they just practiced and practiced and they wouldn't even allow them to do any competitive uh, playing, you know, in like the Olympics or anything until they hit the certain age of like, okay, you've practiced this many hours. And obviously that's a very extreme case. Um, but they, you know, they were very good <laughs> and they yeah. and everything. Um, and then obviously like you touched on it down in, in uh, the Dominican and Cuba. I mean, yeah, I mean, they play pickup games, but that's still kind of a form of practice in a way because if you go down there, and I know a lot of MLB teams will actually take uh, players that they're having a hard time with attitude with, they'll take them down and make them watch basically what's like a backyard game is those kids take ground balls for freaking hours and hours and hours and you'd think they would just get so bored but you just go watch an mlb game and look how smooth their hands are too right they didn't learn that just by playing in a game no it's like dude they took so many reps with you know and on crappy fields too and you step onto the average college field average mlb field it's like you're not you're not going to get that many bad hops um especially now that a lot of things are turf too um, and I remember I, I put that tweet out because there, there was an athlete who was basically saying he needed to work on, uh, getting, getting a certain pitch better. And I was like, that's the, this is kind of the wrong way to do it. And I was thinking in my head, well, I'm sure a lot of other athletes feel this way, 
So I actually do remember putting that tweet out uh, a long time ago because it's um, it, it's just so true that like if you want to rush into the competitive spirit, that's awesome. You do need to compete, um, but no one's going to notice you if you're the worst one competing or if you're not at least in the top five. The same with showcases. Why are you going to a showcase if you're not going to be the top five to stand out? Just take that $800 and burn it and dance around it. You're going to have just as much fun and get just as much noticed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny you say that because when, when we were recruiting, we used to talk about that all the time. Like if I could give any kid, high school kid, advice about going to showcases, what to do at a showcase event, be good, be yep. talented, show up physical, show up throwing – like do the things that are necessary to impact the college roster immediately. Like I don't – like every coach is like hustle on and off the field. Well, if you're – let's say Max Clark and you dog it out to center field, I'm still recruiting you <laughs> like, like, cause you're the best player in the country. Yeah. You're the number one high school outfielder in the country. Like that's the thing is like all these people that are like, Hey, you need to hustle on and off field. That's what's going to get you recruited. That's what college coaches look for. It's a darn lie. It's cute. And it's nice when you're not that good. And you're like, Oh, that kid plays the, plays the game the right way. I hate that term anyway, but plays yeah. the game the right way. Um, but then they turn around and like, would you recruit them? It's like, no. It's like, well, okay, what, well, why are we here, right? And spend that money on people like you is what I always tell guys. Spend that money on a good strength conditioning coach. Spend that money on a good pitching coach. Spend that money on a good hitting coach. Spend that money on a speed coach. You want to get faster, hit the gym, run with somebody, get your form down, all the things like that. And next thing you know, you're going to be recruited even if it's late. Right. And you talked about progress being, you know, it's never linear. How many guys get to pro ball and see a VLO bump? It's like guys that are division one. I mean, our, our co-host here who's 91 and 93 at Wake Forest pitching in the ACC as a starter. Friday night guy as a junior drafted in the ninth round. He saw a VLO bump in pro ball from 91 and 93 to 97, 98. It's like, for all these people that don't understand that concept of like the work is never finished and you have to be patient. It's so hard to get people to wrap their brain around that. Like even to the point of like going 10 for 12 on a weekend down at, I mean, I was going to say something local to Dan and I so that you would, that would be a foreign language. Shooter. So like diamond nation is what's in Jersey is like the event. Sure. Your kid went 10 for 12 at diamond nation, but that doesn't guarantee him success down the road. There's a kid on the team that he played that went one for 12 with eight punchies because he's sore from hitting the weight room all week. And he is focused on his development. And that kid's going to be hitting third in a college lineup in three years. And your kid's going to be, Oh, congrats. You had a good high school season. So, and Obviously, that's just a tangent. If you want to respond to that, by all means, but I can actually ask a question too. <laughs> yeah, I'll give a I'll give a quick response, like a very very quick. That kid might go one for twelve with seven piss missile lineouts. Yep. Right. Um, you might go ten for twelve with maybe like one ball hit in the gap. That's kind of like, hey, good job, Johnny, and the rest yeah. of mm-hmm. like duck farts. Like that could be borderline errors it's like yes eventually that thing needs to straighten out no one wants to be the one for 12 hitter but um there are guys who stand out i've seen guys who go 0 for 4 um and then when they come back the next series uh they went 0 for 4 because they're lining out to the warning track every yep. time getting pitched to they're going to get walked the rest of the series yep. but yeah that's just kind of like it's well it's crazy because steve springer um he's 
runs quality at bat.com, I believe. Uh, really good hitting guy that I like to follow and that I learned so much from just from the little snippets that I've heard from. He's like, he always says the best hitters line out the most, right? Yeah. And I always used to say, because I was a hitting coach in college, like guys would ask me, like, you want to know how process oriented I am? If we're down, if we're in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth and you hit a bleeder single to walk off, I'm going to be more happy if you hit a deep fly ball to center field at 105 plus because I'm focused on the process, not the result, right? The, the, the result of bleeding in a single every time that doesn't play for the long haul. That doesn't win you a national championship. That doesn't get you the goals of playing professional baseball. If that's ultimately what your goal is. And that's what I used to tell guys all the time. I'm here to be process oriented. The head coach is here to win a ball game, right? So I'm here to focus on what's going to lead you to success in May downturn. It's like guys like it irritates me. It drives me up a wall when a guy in BP hits a flare ball when we got full D drops in like, Oh, that's a double. Like, and it <laughs> kicks into the kicks into the bullpen and it's like hit at like 67. And I'm like, I used to like, if I had the autonomy to just rip a kid out of the cage, I would. I mean, like, that's not what we're focused on right now. Yeah. You, you can't, if you are going to live a career off of that, you're not going to have success for very long. Yeah. And so Obviously, now we're going back and forth about the process, but I do want to go back to the game environment, game culture versus practice culture, right? And the Dominican. I don't know if you know this, but the Guardians have started to pull their draft guys back with the later draft and say basically like, hey, get accustomed to pro ball, right? Lift, get physical, get rested. I mean, we play so much baseball in this country and like especially pitchers wise. I mean, you, you see a division one athlete who's trying to get drafted. He goes from full spring season to the Cape Cod, to um, right in a fall ball. And then he gets five weeks of heavy lifting before he kicks off a spring season again. Yeah. And it's like mind blowing to think that these guys develop. So, you know, I'd love to know your thoughts. Cause like Dan said, we've asked a lot of people this on how impactful that could be for the guardians prospects, position player and pitcher to just take that off that time away from the field, even for a guy that's college aged and, and finished at that age to actually develop. Yeah. Right. So an, an underdeveloped player is exactly that. They're underdeveloped. The MLB plays developed guys. D1 schools, D2 schools, D3 schools, it doesn't matter. I played D3 and I played against kids who, who threw in the 90s. I played against a couple of kids who threw in the hundreds. Like I, I remember there was one kid who came out. Uh, he, he did get drafted. His name's Nick Garcia. He was like 97 to 101, I think. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, look, if you're underdeveloped, there, there's work to be done. Um, and I, I think that there's there's an aspect of, like, the scrappy baseball player that, that does work, right? Um, but I think that there's also the aspect of, like, if all you're doing is hitting – these super long fly balls. There's also going to be a problem there too. Um, but right. Like there has to be that mix. Um, Cause I think old school baseball does still have um, a very good, what would you call it? Like impact on the game. Mm-hmm. Cause I think if we get like over analytical, we get over into like the power aspect. Um, too much of one thing is, is typically, you know, never a good yes. thing. So that's mm-hmm. a common saying, but I think it's smart for teams to, to say like you're undersized and we're afraid of the way that um, if we pay you this much money that you're 
get hurt. Um, and you see that a lot in, in players. Um, and obviously like the strength and power components come into that pretty hard. Uh, but it's, it's definitely like, I think there's a, there's a certain threshold. I don't think there's something, I don't, I don't think strong, like too strong is a thing. I've never, ever heard one player say I got hurt because I'm too strong. Uh, no, like that's, (laughs) that's never going to happen. Like if someone ever says that, like they might, I don't, I don't even know. They might've just like had a stroke. Like I've, I've never heard the term, Oh, I got hurt because I'm too strong. Like I've heard a lot of times, Oh, I'm hurt because this area is weak or I'm too weak or I'm too small. It's like, yeah, get bigger, focus on, you know, your mobility, you know, being a resilient human being, you have to build a very robust and resilient system, um, to handle long seasons. And MLB seasons are gruelingly long with only a very short off season. Um, and then if you come out here to like California, they, they don't have a day off. You know, I talked to a kid who said he hasn't stopped playing since he was a sophomore. Um, which I think is, is radically unhealthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, your body has to be built into an extremely robust and resilient system that can handle, um, as many stressors as you can possibly place on them, which would include like doing extremely heavy lifts, um, to make sure that all the muscle fibers are prepared to fire and, and the joints and everything are, are prepared to take on extremely heavy stress. And then, you know, like a good amount of plyometrics to ensure that the tendons are prepared for a lot of the, the jumping, pivoting and running you're going to do. And I think like, if you look at a position player, um, they're getting beat down pretty good. Um, so if, if you don't have, you know, a, a tough system. Good luck. Really good luck to you. I hope, I really hope that you are in that 0.001% that can get away with that because I don't think you can. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's it right there is the fact that, you know, with the game culture we have, and even at the big league level, those guys are playing 162 games and yeah, pitchers throw once a turn through the rotation. But to your point, position players are supposed to be out there 160 games a year. Like you're getting beat down. So like strength, you have to be strong, right? And everyone always used to like, if if we go back 20, 30 years, you know, the thought was, well, baseball players, you know, that, you know, weightlifting's for football players and in season, I'm not going to lift or in season, I'm just looking to maintain where it's like, stop it. Like, cause you need to get strong. And my favorite tidbit always was, uh, I remember when Kimbrel was in Atlanta, just blowing everyone up. You know, he, he used to get hot by crushing chest on game days. And when his (laughs) chest loosened up in the bullpen, you know, that's when he was like, I'm good to go. Put me out there. I'm going to go blow a hundred by these dudes. And, yeah. you know, just the thought of that, of like, well, you have to be powerful. You have to be able to move. And I remember a couple of years ago when the Dodgers were in the World Series, Mookie Betts set the, the the internet on fire when there was a video of him just getting after it on, on a, uh, a day of a World Series game in the weight room before the game. And it's like, yes, like this is what these guys do. All these guys are ridiculously strong. I know that baseball has always been kind of marketed as the unathletic, you know, the thinking man's game. But yeah. these dudes, when you get to that level, they're freaks. And I think now that we've turned our younger athletes, especially at the high school level, in and we are sending them to – 
to go gain all this velocity and we are sending them to showcases every weekend. Like if that's going to be our culture, then we better get them in the weight room and get them stronger. Like we better, right? Like we better have them understand that even when you're in season, like your butt better be in the gym getting stronger. And and, um, I guess the question in there for you is like, how important is it then to also, you know, we have so many people who are specialized like yourself now, like to arm them with this knowledge and be like, this is what you have to do here's a you know we need to give you a routine so that when you're not in here every day and you are in your high school season and you can't be in here or you do get to college like this is what you need to do to continue to develop how important is that aspect of just then arming them and giving those kids the knowledge of this is what the right thing to do is yeah well there's also to go off that and i guess this does answer part of it is you have to explain also it's like you're not here to just get stronger and faster, but resistance training causes hormonal adaptations, release more testosterone. Um, so when has more testosterone in a sport, regardless of the sport ever been a bad thing? (laughs) I mean, think, think about, even if you look at women's sports, I mean, they're, they're trying to like get as much of that as they can because they don't produce as much as men do. Um, so, you know, not only are there the physical adaptations of like hypertrophy of getting bigger, of strength of getting stronger, power of getting, you know, more powerful, how much can you move within a certain time, but also, you know, like how how many hormonal changes can we make in you that um that will help your game too because there's that aspect like I, I think people who lift tend like typically are tougher people. Um and I mean, as long as you're doing it the right way, like, I don't think a guy who goes in and just does bro lifting or bodybuilder, like, you know, splits is going to necessarily benefit much, but I mean, at least they're stronger, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I, I try to arm them with the knowledge of like, here's every avenue, which this can help you with. Here are the risks, but there are probably a hundred more pros to each con of, um, of training. Cause it's just like, look, if you step on the field, it's the same exact thing. Once you lace those cleats up and you get on the field, whether you're a pitcher or position player, um, you risk anything that could be arm blowout or it could be, you just get hit by a pitch and it hits you in the wrong spot and you're, you know, you're hurt. Um, and that's probably like the worst injury versus something where you blow something out. Um, but yeah, I just try to arm them with the knowledge of like, here's everything that you need to know about the aspects of, of training, especially the strength training route. Um, you know, obviously I'm working with, um, the skill aspect when it comes to pitchers, I don't do any, you know, any hitting. I don't pretend like I know anything about that with my position players. Cause I don't know anything about it. All I knew about hitting was how to try and get them to not do it. <laughs> um, so when I have pitch, often I'm, I'm doing, you know, their, their pitching side and their strength side, but with position players, I'm working more their, their strength and their speed aspect of it. Um, and you just have to equip them with that knowledge. Like if I get a pitcher who let's say that their, um, their backside collapse is really easy and it's like, Oh, why does, you know, why does my leg do this? Or why does my leg do that? I can say, well, he's efficient moving this way. But if you're not strong enough to hold this one position for you know a given amount of time, we can't expect you to actually hold that position. 
if I don't have strong adductors, I can't expect to ride my back leg all that long. Um, and it's the same thing with like, if I don't do a lot of plyometrics, um, how can I expect to run faster? The same thing. If, if I don't lift heavy, how can I expect to run faster? Um, and obviously there has to be a mix. You have to do dynamic and reactive lifts along with those very heavy lifts. Um, and kind of sprinkle those in, or you can devote an entire session to it as well. Um, you know, that's very like individual to the guy, right? If I've got a guy who can, you know, pull 500 pounds off the floor on deadlift squat, somewhere in the three to 400 range for reps and bench, you know, for baseball, typically like the high two hundreds is like a really good range to be in. Um, getting that person stronger probably isn't going to help them all that much in terms of their development other than keeping their body to be that robust system. They're going to need more of that powerful route versus the guy who comes in and they already have insane, like, I don't, well, one thing is, this is a small tangent is I don't think your 60 time really correlates all that well, but let's say that they do have an elite 60 time. Um, me spending time with them on sprint mechanics getting faster, doing plyometrics more than me doing like heavier stuff. If they're really not that strong, it's just a waste of their time and money. And it's a waste of my time too. Um, cause you know, like, yeah, you can be fast, but if you can't hit, who cares? So like no one gets drafted or recruited for having a really good eye. No one gets drafted or recruited because they pinch run and steal a few bags. That just doesn't happen. No, no one, like, no one cares how fast you you run compared to how hard you hit the ball, and how often you're hitting the ball. This is it's the same stuff with like, it's easier to teach somebody off speed than it is to help them throw harder. Um, and so, you know, you have to explain all those things. Um, and the, I think the hardest part for me is dumbing it down. Um, and I'll often, when I, when I tell parents, I go, okay, I'm going to go on the nerd route and then I'm going to, you know, break it down. Cause you don't want them to feel dumb because you're going to lose them. Right. But you also don't want to explain it to them in a condescending way where you're talking to them like they're five. It's like, Oh, this, that it's like, you have to find that balance. And usually what I try to do is just explain it in the absolute most logical term and then bring it back and make it sound as simple as possible. Because if you don't fully explain it, A, you don't sound like you know what you're doing. <clears throat> and B, when you do explain it in kind of that dumbed-down version, they'll want more of like, okay, well, that I understand what that means, but how can we do it? So if you're saying like, here's how we get adaptation A, B, C, nerdy, and then you go, this is what that means that's a better way of communicating to, to people than, um, Oh, you know, we just got to get him to, you know, use his legs a little bit more. It's like, what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've, yeah. I've heard that one a thousand times. Um, so if you, ex- if you explain to someone, you know, like, Oh, my kid doesn't use his legs. Okay. Here's how we can get his legs. And I'm going to explain it in anatomical biomechanical terms. Uh, that you won't understand. And then I'm going to break those down as a much better effective way of saying like, Oh yeah, I'll work on him with getting to work to, you know, get his legs going. Just trust me. It's fine. Cause you know, people want to know that stuff cause they're investing not just their money, but they're investing their career too. 
and time is not on the side of anybody. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny because, um, at pro ball or even in college, there's a lot of coaches that say, Oh, just trust me. And they don't explain it, whether it be to the athlete or, you know, in your demographic, the parent. Um, and there's a lot of people that have arrogance enough to just think. And like I said, I mean, we've, I've heard stories of guys in pro ball that are, Hey, use your legs more. Well, how, why? And it's like, or get more extension. It's like, well, maybe my hips don't work that way, but I'm going to, I'm going to cut myself off there. Oh, you go. Yep. I was going to say, well, maybe they don't know what extension means. Yeah. Right. Like I've worked with coaches who literally don't know what flexion and extension is. Yeah. Like (laughs) really, really, you don't know what that means. And like, if you can't communicate that, it's like, why should I trust you? Right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I had a math professor who was just like, Oh yeah, trust me. Uh, can somebody uh, remind me? You know what, like four divided by two is, real quick. You'd be like, walk out of the room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like you should know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, then you do get people who are actually very good at what they do, and they say, "Trust me." And maybe there is an arrogant yeah. aspect to it, but you also get poor communicators—people who just yeah. don't. Right. Mm-hmm. you know, talk to people. And so their automatic reaction is like, no, like I know what I'm doing. Please just trust me. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But it, it, you know, elaborate on that because people want to know what they're doing and they want to know what their son or their daughter or whatever it is that, that they're doing. Um, because trust me, isn't enough information to, um, it's not a very sufficient reply. Um, cause it's just like, <laughs> You, you like, what do you know? Like what, right. right? Like, I don't know anything about, I don't know. Like I'm not like a big, uh, like basketball guy. And if I had a kid who wanted to play basketball and the basketball coach is like, Oh, just trust me. It's all good. I'd be like, okay, well I'm dumb in this. So I need to know a little bit more about, you know, what's going on here. So when I get a parent who maybe they didn't play baseball, um, like I'm going to have to explain a lot of things to them. And then when you get, you know, a parent who did play baseball, a lot of them played in that old school aspect of like, Oh, you're hurt. You feel pain. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, Oh, I knew how to use my legs, blah, blah, blah. So you do, you know, you get that aspect where you have to communicate with people and basically say like, without making them feel you know, dumb, you just basically say like, we have more information than you had when you played. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just, that goes back to the communication aspect where it's like, trust me, isn't enough, um, to get someone to trust. You need to show that you at least have some knowledge without being, you know, like, like, Oh my God, I'm a genius in this. It's like, no, but at least I know what I'm talking about versus Like, oh, just, you know, do this. It's like, well, stop. Like, don't be lazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, that that whole point is I read a book one time. I, I turned around from my bookshelf to try to see if I could find it, but I couldn't track it down. So I don't remember exactly what book it was in. But basically, statistically speaking, um, doctors, um, and this is one thing, like doctors are brilliant. They're smart. They go through all this schooling. But the lawsuits against doctors are like, it's like correlated, like almost at a hundred percent to bedside manner, 
right? Like you could get a diagnosis wrong, but if you treat a human being right, if you care and you listen, you're not going to get sued to the point of like, you know, losing your license or anything like that. Or you could be the smartest person in the world, but your inability to interact, your inability to connect with the human, your inability to explain what's wrong. And you could be right. Those are the doctors that get sued more times than the doctors that are, you know, right, but don't do a good job or that are wrong, but are really good human beings, really good at connecting and really good at explaining. So, you know, there's so much to unpack there. And in reality, I feel like we have a a lot more that we could talk about, but we want to be respectful of your time. I know you got some stuff going on. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to talk about pitching, so we'll definitely have to try to get you back on here and, and go in depth again. I think you offered so much wisdom for our listeners and, and, take an opportunity to plug your Instagram, your Twitter, and obviously the business and, and just let our listeners know where they can yes, find you. You can find me. You'll find most of my content on Instagram. Um, you'll find it either on my personal coaching page, which is at Joey Hanley FSP. Um, and then you'll also, that's also my Twitter handle. And then you'll also find it through the company page. Um, it's fearless sports performance. So it's very lengthy. Um, all you really got to do is look it up and then you'll see, you know, a logo that's got an F and it just says fearless sports performance around it. Um, and then, uh, we've got TikTok, exact same thing. You just look up fearless sports performance, but the main way you can find most of the content, um, cause most of the posts are collaborated between, you know, my account and then the business account or my business partner's account, which is, um, you know, also like the same way it's going to be linked with the company account is if you just go to at Joey Hanley FSP. Um, obviously a lot of in-person training out here in California. Um, but we have remote training. Uh, we just recently had a guy who, uh, signed to play overseas actually, um, who's been a remote. So, um, you know, I've had remote, remote athletes from just an hour away all the way to, from California, to Florida. So, um, you know, working with a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find us, find me, uh, find my business partner and, um, yeah, you'll find the website through all of their, um, you know, I I don't think I can recite the exact website, (laughs) but yeah, so you'll be able to find it on there and I'd definitely be happy to come back on and talk, um, more on that pitching side because there's so many rabbit holes we could go down today that would just probably last until like a four hour (laughs) (laughs) exactly so we're gonna we're gonna break this up we'll get you back on uh over the next coming weeks and and dive more into the nitty-gritty there dan do you have any last closing thoughts for joey before we let him go no appreciate your time man this was a lot of fun thanks it was a lot of fun i love coming on here and being able to talk baseball talk pretty much anything that just you know, might help out the average player, the average parent, if they're looking for something. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate it. And I look forward to coming on again. Awesome, Joey. Well, we appreciate it. And, and to our listeners, make sure you guys are following Joey on all social channels, as well as our social channels. We've been growing on TikTok pretty well. All I do is screen screen record videos off Twitter, post it and go viral. So if you, Joe, if you didn't know, that's how you go viral is you just screen record a video of Mookie Betts hitting a home run and everybody likes it. I, I didn't know I'll that. Do. I, 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 it's not that long ago of a bunch of like MLB brawls talking about emotion and stuff. Uh, that didn't go viral though. 
<laughs> I'm surprised. I'd check that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um yeah, it's a little it's a little uh loophole there apparently to to trick the TikTok algorithm. But uh, make sure you guys are liking, sharing, and subscribing the podcast. You know, any any little bit helps sharing with five friends. Um every like, every review that we get on the podcast, it just helps us grow a little bit and we appreciate the support we've had. A reminder, we are partnered with SeatGeek. Promo code Backside Ground Ball for any of your live event needs. Make sure you're checking out SeatGeek. You get your $20 off your first purchase. Make sure you're using the promo code Backside Ground Ball. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.